Hello, Praise Chapel Paramount. This is Pastor Omar Lopez. This past weekend, I talked about proximity through our pain and our problems. I used the story of Mary and Martha asking Jesus to come and heal their brother. Of course, we know that Lazarus did pass away. And it was a surprise to Mary and Martha that Jesus didn't show up in the time frame that they had already thought in their mind. Many times in our walk with God, it seems like God does not work in our time frame. Like God doesn't meet our expectation. And our proximity to God becomes painful and becomes problematic in our own mind. But yet when we put our trust in God, we'll find that God always comes through. Today, So again, we, we're just believing the Lord to do some great things this morning. Uh, we're uh, going to continue our series on proximity. They proximity. And what proximity means is nearness or closeness. We often hear the time when we say in close proximity, but in reality, when you just say proximity, you are saying closeness and nearness. And we've been talking about being close to God. How many want to be close to God? And near God. And we've been talking about in the realm of walking with God. And it's a metaphor. When someone is walking with God, what we're talking about is that you're in sync and in alignment with God. And so the Bible says when you walk in the spirit, you are in alignment with God. So I'm talking about that this morning. But I want to read a story about three particular characters that were close to Jesus. It was a close family that uh, they knew Jesus. They were friends with Jesus. uh, And uh, we're going to see how the reaction is when they ask of Jesus. They're requesting something from Jesus. And Jesus does not respond in the time that they're wanting him to respond. Kind of like what we've seen up here today. And so I want to read a verse of scripture here out of John chapter 11. And this is Jesus. uh, uh, He gets a notification that one of his friends is sick here by the name of Lazarus. So let's begin to read here just a few verses of scripture. Now a man was sick, Lazarus, from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. Mary was the one who anointed the Lord with perfume and wiped her feet with her hair. And it was her brother Lazarus who was sick. So the sister sent a message to him saying, Lord, the one you love is sick. In other words, this is one of your buddies right here. This is your homie. This is the guy you know really well. And when Jesus heard it, he said, the sickness will not end in death, but it is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now, Jesus loved Martha, her sister, and Lazarus. So he loved all of them. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for the word of God. We thank you that your word is true, that your word is powerful, that your word relates to us in 2020. And I pray today that you'll open our hearts, God, remove every distraction. There's so many things that are on our minds, so many pressing things that are weighing on our mind today. You'll remove that and help us to focus on you. Help us to focus on the word of God. Help us to give you our 100% undivided attention. I pray for the anointing of the Holy Spirit upon every word that I preach today. And God, that the people would hear the voice behind the voice in Jesus' name. And everyone said, and so when we talk about proximity and close relationship, one of the ways that we rate our relationship with people is how fast and how quick they respond to a text. Believe it or not, those that respond quickly are really our friends. 
And those that don't respond quick enough, we kind of get mad at. Let's be honest. And, and the devil gets in it and begins to say, see, they don't care about you. Man, she's too busy for you. You know what? She's too good for everybody. And so uh, we begin to get judge people and rape people by how fast they respond. And sometimes we can even uh, begin to text them and we see the little bubbles and we say, oh, here they go. And then they ghost you. They just vanish. <laughs> they were responding. They saw your message. And, and what happened? They didn't respond quick enough, uh, and so you assume that this person doesn't like you, this person is mad at you, this person doesn't care about you, and then we end up being so mad, we end up saying things we don't mean. How many have ever heard that where we, you've heard someone say, have you ever said something in the heat of the moment, you ever said stuff that you didn't mean? How many have ever heard that before? And a lot of us would say, well, you know, that's true, I said some things I really didn't mean, but I'm here to tell you, sometimes I think it's not totally true. Sometimes we say things in the heat of the moment that's not necessarily not true, but can be true. The way I'll describe it this way, in the heat of the moment, the words may not be the accurate description of reality, but they, they are the accurate description of the intensity of our feelings Maybe it's mixed perhaps with unresolved issues you have with that person or past unrealistic expectation and, let we, and we let our feelings and our emotions lead rather than our wisdom and rationale. And so, yes, a lot of those feelings are real, but they're mixed with unrealistic expectations. They're mixed with uh, things from the past that haven't been settled. And so when you say them, they just blow out of your mouth, and later you regret it. Am I right? For some of you that are so holy, I'm not talking to you. I'm talking to us that we know we don't have it all together, right? And, and, and sometimes, can I be real today, sometimes we do that with God. There are times and moments in our walk with God that we feel real close to God. We feel like we're really making a connection, but when God doesn't meet our expectation or maybe the stress in our life, or the anxiety and things that are going on in our life, man, they're really high. All of a sudden, some things flow out of our mouth that we said we would never say, and they begin to, we begin to say them. See, when life gets difficult and challenging, and the intensity of the situation begins to escalate, we swore we would never say those words, but all of a sudden, they begin to flow out of our mouth. And I believe when we look at the story of Mary and Martha, they say some things or feel some things that probably they thought they would never feel because this situation is a very heated situation. The Bible says that their brother, their little brother, Lazarus, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, brothers and sisters, uh, Mary and Martha have a young brother by the name of Lazarus, and he's very sick, and it's uh, they've, they've sought every avenue to get him healed obviously they're look they've looked for different ways to see him healed but now they are in the brink where Lazarus is at a brink of death he's about to die and so the bible says that they conclude that the only one that can heal him is the miracle worker waymaker Jesus hallelujah and so they send a message to Jesus 
And they basically know that they have been in close proximity with Jesus. Uh, there it is, close proximity. They are in proximity with Jesus. They've been walking with Jesus. They have a great relationship with Jesus. Uh, and so they know that Jesus has healed the multitude. They know that Jesus has done miracles. So why not assume that Jesus would do the same for them? They've been close friends with him. And so they come up with this logical plan. We're going to send Jesus a message and let him know that his friend, his buddy, Lazarus is sick and he's going to respond immediately. Now, this was before text, email, and all that, right? There, you can do any of those things. So they they put it in a messenger's hand, I assume, and he, the guy takes a run. The Bible says that, that uh, basically uh, he gets word, and many scholars believe that it probably took about a day's journey for that messenger to get to Jesus. And Jesus gets word, and the note is simply this. It basically, Lazarus, your friend, is sick, or the one whom you love is very sick. That's it. That's all the note is. And I'm always wondering, why was it just a short note? I mean, this family has been close to Jesus. They're probably the closest family Besides Jesus' biological family, they're the closest family he's had, their close friend, and they send him a message, and it's very short, not very long. They say, you know what? The one whom you love is sick. Now, I don't know about you, but if I had someone that was sick, I would send a long note telling him why he needs to heal him. Am I right? Unless it was your mother-in-law, you might say, well, God, maybe it's her time. No, no, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. We love the mother-in-law. But, but basically, if it was your brother, your sister, you would probably say, God, she, she's one of the good ones. God, she's she the one that prays all the time. You, you remember my sister. You remember my brother. He's the one that goes to church all the time. He's the one that reads his Bible every day. And I'm sure uh, we would have wrote this long note about uh, our brother or our sister. But it's interesting, all they wrote down is, Lord, the one you love is sick, the end. But I believe the reason why Mary Martha wrote that is because they knew it would move the heart of God. Not uh, uh, Lazarus' love for him, but God's love for Lazarus. Hallelujah. Now, I want you to think about that for a moment because many times when we were, when we were, you know, we were children and you were younger, you remembering desiring something very, you know, you wanted something. It was like the epicenter of your heart. You wanted this particular toy. You wanted this particular item. How many remember that when you were a child? And, and you really had your heart set on that. For me, back when, and some of you kids don't even know what I'm talking about, it was a video game called Pong, and you basically went like this, and Google it, you don't know what I'm talking about, but there was a thing, and that was like the innovative thing, Pong. I remember going to my cousin's house, and he had Pong, man, and we were like trying to play it, and we thought it was so fascinating, it was almost like a tennis thing, and you poop, and the ball poop, poop, like that, and we thought it was just like the most awesome game. And I remember going home to my dad and saying, man, I want Pong. I want to get the Pong, you know. And, and obviously, there are seven brothers, so I never got the Pong. And then I, I remember wanting the G.I. Joe. How many remember G.I. Joe? And some of you guys, it's not the movie. There was actually these things called G.I. Joes. And we played with them. And I had a friend that was just, a, he was an only child. And I should take that back. He was the only boy in the family. 
And there were a bunch of girls, and he was the only boy, and he got all the toys. So I would be at his house almost every day for hours because he had the G.I. Joes, he had the Army men, and he had Big Jim with the whole camping thing, if you guys remember what I'm talking about as well. He had everything. I mean, this guy was spoiled, and we would actually sit at his house. I don't even know why I'm telling you this story. But we would decide, okay, for the first hour, we're going to play with G.I. Joe's, and then we're going to play with the space guy, then we're going to play with the army guy. We just kind of spaced our whole day like that, and then we're going to play Gundy out of the dark. I mean, this guy had everything, man. That's spoiled guy. No, he's a, he's a good guy. I got, I got a chance to be a part of that. So maybe for you girls, it was the, uh, what is it, the Barbie dream house, maybe, or whatever it might have been. Uh, for me, I also wanted a Schwinn, and for, you know, Schwinns are usually for the rich people. I would even take an, a used Schwinn. It didn't matter. And, and I, I, so I do remember this specifically, though, that I wanted a dog. I, I told my dad, man, I want a dog. And, and my dad just for some reason was not going to give us any animals. I remember we would get stray dogs, any dog we could get. A friend would give us the dog. We'd bring it to the house. And within a couple of days, my dad said, let's go to the park. We go to the park. Man, I'm playing with my dog. Next thing you know, we're in the car and we've left the dog. <laughs> Tell my dad, where's the dog, you know? My dad would be quiet. I think it was the whole strategy the whole time not to take me to the park, but to take the dog and lose the dog. One time we had a dog. I'll be honest. I'm, getting, I'm having fun now. Uh-uh. When we got home, the dog was on the porch. That's true story. And he had to cross some pretty major streets. Florence Avenue, a bunch of... I don't know how that dog made it. My goodness. Anyway. So today, <laughs> you know, we're, we're, we're sitting here, at, but we replaced that desire for a toy, that desire for an animal for something more appropriate in your mind and your heart that you really want from God. And unless you're somebody here that thinks, no, nah, I'm okay, you got it all together, we can call you a Jesus Jr. or JJ, but for the rest of us, uh, we're, we're still broken, man. We need God. We need God's help. And thank God, huh? But if you've ever been in a point of desperation, you wanted a need, you, you really are asking for that need. And for some of you that are here today, it's no, it's no longer toys. It's no longer, maybe it's for a person. You're, you're praying for that person to be healed. Or maybe today you're praying for a better job or, or, or a better career move. Or maybe you're here today and you, and you want to be a mom. And you say, man, I haven't been able to become a mom yet. All these different things become a desperate prayer. Or maybe you have a, a child that has wandered away from God and, and you're praying for them to come back. That is your greatest desire. Or maybe today you're praying for your marriage. You're praying, God, restore my marriage. Heal my marriage. And you're really desperate. That is the biggest need in your life. Or maybe you're here and you're not even married yet and you're praying that you'll get married and, and even eHarmony starting to look good to you and all these other things and, and say, God, you know, I'll help you out here and all these different things. It becomes a, a great, great need in our lives. And I understand that. And so I believe it's the same way with Mary and Martha. Their biggest need at that moment was Lazarus, their little brother, to be healed. And I'm saying this to you because, let's be honest, when things don't come together like we wrote the script, we get disappointed. 
And we can even get disappointed with God because we, we had it all kind of worked out. We felt, man, God was going to come. And let's just be honest. How many of us here today, if you raise your hand, you felt like God was not acting or moving on your timing? How many, how many have ever felt that? All right, a few of us. Again, J.J. sitting next to you. He's got it all together. That's never happened with him. But for us, it has and even as the pastor, I've been disappointed. I've been, man, Lord, I really have my heart set on this. I really believe that you were going to do it. And it just didn't happen in the timing that I believed God would do it. Uh, it didn't happen the way I scripted out. I had it all made up in my mind how God was going to move and, and how all these things were going to come together. And if you've been there, if you're honest, you know, man, it's disappointing. It's heartbreaking. And it's a desperate need. So today I'm going to take this cup and I want you to put like, if you can imagine holding this cup in your hand, like I'm holding it right here and whatever desperate need that you have, whatever it may be, we're going to put it in this cup for now. We'll, we'll, we'll address it later, but we're going to put that need, whatever that desire is in this cup right here. I'm going to set it right here and we'll address it later. But, and, and it's kind of portable, it goes with you everywhere how many know whatever need you have whatever desperation you have it's always with us it never leaves us and so we're going to put it in this cup for now and we're going to leave it there and we'll address it later I don't want to forget about that cup in fact if I forget about the cup you need to remind me before I close the service hey don't forget the cup pastor because there's something important about that cup but we're going to see what happens when they call on Jesus the Bible said they send them a message and they're desperate, are asking Jesus to meet the need because they've been very, very close. And again, Lazarus is sick. It's not like he's got an allergy or an ingrown toenail. He is sick, man. He's going to die. And they're desperate. They're saying, God, we, we need your help. And here's what surprises everybody. And even when I begin to read it, now that I know the end, of course, I'm not surprised. But when you first read it, you find out something that happened. Jesus surprises everybody because he doesn't do anything for two days. He gets the message, and for two days, he does nothing. He doesn't respond. He doesn't tell him, hey, let him know I'm going to be on my way. You know, don't, don't tell him not to worry. I'll be there in a couple of Nothing. He does nothing. And in fact, the Bible says when he waits a few more days, that by time he does respond, Lazarus is already dead. Again, like I told you, they believe, scholars believe that it took them a day to get Jesus the message. He waits two days, and then on the fourth day, he gets there, he travels, and by time he gets there, the situation is not the same. Lazarus is no longer sick, but now he has died. And how many know, even though God has not met your need yet, even though God has not answered in the way you want him to answer, how many know Jesus still cares? God still care, cares about your need. See, if you ever want to know the character of God, if you ever want to know who God is, all you have to do is look at who Jesus is. That gives us an expression. It gives us a tangible expression, a snapshot of the character of God because Jesus was 100% man and he was 100% God. And we see the heart of God in this particular story. So I'm going to just pull out a few things out of this story as quick as I can and give them to you. Number one, it demonstrates to us, Jesus demonstrates his unique timing. 
okay? His unique timing. And I kind of sugarcoat it, unique timing, because really, he kind of, it really, it, it, it demonstrates to us Jesus' timing sucks. Am I right? I mean, let's just be honest. It does. I mean, come on, man. You got the, you got the message, and you should have just came with the guy that brought the message. Man, they could have just took you over there. And you wait two days and four, come on, what happened? I mean, let's be honest. And, and here, it's very unique. It's even disturbing because he was a friend and Jesus doesn't seem to be in a rush. Here's what the Bible said, John 11, verse 5 and 7. It says this, so although Jesus loved Martha and Mary and Lazarus, he stayed where he was for the next two days. Finally, he said to his disciples, Let's go back to Judea. So by the time he gets Lazarus' message, four days later, he responds, if you could put yourself in Mary and Martha's shoes. They have been desperate in prayer. Their brother is dying, and, and Jesus has not responded. It almost seems like Jesus doesn't care. And how many know nobody cares like Jesus cares? Nobody cares about your life like he cares. It reminds me when they were in, in uh, the, when the disciples were in a boat and they were in the midst of the storm. And the Bible says, well, they're in the storm. Jesus is in the boat. But you know what Jesus is doing? He's sleeping. Man, I don't need Jesus sleeping. I need Jesus doing something. Hallelujah. Oh, Jesus, where are you? Amen. Maybe that's where the, the whole thing came. Oh, Jesus. Oh, Jesus, come meet our need. Man, your presence is heaven to me, but you, you're not here. Hallelujah, I need you here. Your presence is heaven. Come on. And so here they are. They're in the boat, and Jesus is sleeping, and the Bible said that the storm is so great, it's so big, it's an unusual storm. you got to remember, these guys have been fishermen all their life, and Jesus is in the boat, but he's not doing anything. In fact, he's sleeping, and they finally come and wake him up and said, Lord, don't you see we're about to drown? Don't you care? And Jesus don't even respond. Could you imagine you're talking to somebody, he don't even, he don't even look at you. It's almost as if Jesus was bothered that they woke him up. Like, man, I was in a deep sleep. I wasn't like in that fourth dream. You ever been like that, man? You're, and then your kid's waking you up. They're playing with you. And you go, oh, my goodness. Are you kidding? Or the dog licks your nose. You go, what? Of course, I don't have a dog. So maybe it's, maybe it's your wife. I don't know. Somebody's licking your whatever. Oh, I'm sorry. Anyway, whatever it may be. I'm having a lot of fun this morning. Amen. Thank you guys for being here. Praise the Lord. You guys got me in a better mood already. And so he, he wakes up, and the Bible says he gets up, and the storm is going on. He says, uh, peace be still, because Jesus can calm the storm when it gets crazy. Am I right? See, sometimes we want, uh, we think, man, uh, deliverance uh, you know, where is Jesus? You know, when we're in the storm, where is Jesus? Well, Jesus is with you in the midst of your storm. See, sometimes it doesn't mean you have Jesus, you're not going to have a storm. That's a fantasy. You say, well, I'm going to serve God. I'm never going to have a storm. No, no, you'll have a storm, but be, be assured that Jesus is with you in the midst of the storm. And even though you don't feel it, he's working. Even though you don't see it, he's working. Hallelujah. He's there for you. 
And so Jesus did a great miracle, and I'm not going to get into the rest of that, but sometimes this morning we get frustrated because God doesn't operate in our predetermined schedule. And delays are torturous. How many know that? Some of you have been waiting in the market line. They have been torturous. Am I right? Man, delays. When is it going to happen? When are we going to get in there? Everybody's scared over this virus. You've been touching all the carts everybody else has been touching. You've been touching all the items everybody else has been touching. You're around the big crowd bigger than this, hundreds, and yet we're worried about going to church. But anyway, that's another story. I'll move on. That's a whole other story. Casinos haven't closed down. They're still pushing the buttons and everything else. I don't get it. Anyway. Are we desperate for prayer or not? So here we see Mary and Martha, and they're thinking, where is he? When is he going to show up? Because Jesus has a unique time, or his timing is unique. And friend, it doesn't mean he doesn't care. He's still working behind the scene. But here's what we do with God. Well, oftentimes we say we trust God. Well, we put a deadline on God, don't we? We do. We say we trust God. God, you know, I need this prayer answered by Monday, 3 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. You know, I really need this prayer. I'm trusting you, though. I'm tr- You're not trusting God. Whenever you start putting times and, and, and conditions on God, you're not trusting God. Trusting God doesn't have time, conditions, and constraints and dates. Are you with me? We say, God, it's your timing. Can you? I said, it's God's timing. And so when we walk with Jesus... You got to walk at his pace, not your own pace. Some of us this morning, we'd be honest, you're walking ahead of God. And you're not walking in pace with God. You're not yoked with Jesus. If you remember that, I talked about that a couple of weeks ago, about being yoked together with Jesus and letting him help you carry the load. But I wonder this morning, as they were there, they, they probably had this all script out and thought that Jesus was going to come a lot sooner, but instead, Jesus delayed. And I'm sure it got them kind of angry. It got them kind of upset. Their timing or the timing of Jesus was not their timing. And the second thing I want you to write this down, Jesus offers uh, something bigger. How many believe that? See, what happens many times is because we don't see it in our timing, we're saying, well, you know, then, then something's not right. And you don't realize it could be that God has something much bigger for you. It could be this morning that God had something much bigger to offer Martha than she realized. But at that moment, she was frustrated because I want to go back to this verse here in the book of John. When Martha got word that Jesus was coming, look at what it said. When she got word that Jesus was coming, the scripture says she went to meet him. Okay. But Mary stayed in the house. Now, I can imagine... Martha came out, but remember, Mary and Martha both loved him. But I can imagine Martha went out to meet him, and Mary stood in the house. Is it possible that Mary and Martha said, he's out there? He goes, you go. I'm not going. He's already late. I don't know why he showed up anyway. Four days later. Who, what? Oh, my goodness. You go talk to him. How do you show up four days later? We gave you a word message four days ago. Martha, you go talk to him. I'm mad right now. I don't even want to talk to him. Could be possible. I'm, I'm just adding a little, some of your frustration. You know what I'm talking about. And so she was a little frustrated. And the Bible says she went to meet him. Mary stayed in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if only you'd been here, my brother would not have died. 
She didn't say, welcome, Jesus, good to see you. She just straight out went right to the juggler, man. Lord, oh, Lord, if only you'd been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that God will give you whatever you ask. And Jesus told her, your brother will rise again. Now, that sounds encouraging to you and I, but to her, she's heard that before. You know, we're all going to rise again. So she said, Lord, I, I know. Remember, she was a good Jewish girl. She knew the whole thing about rising again. And Martha said, yeah, he will rise when everyone else rises on the last day. Yeah, I already know. We're all going to rise up, Jesus. Thank you. Thank you for showing up four days later. And so then Jesus told her, but I love this. Because this, this is getting real, folks. Jesus told her, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. And everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never, ever die. Do you believe this, Martha? I mean, there's so much here. I said there's so much. You can clap if you want. Hallelujah. But, but I, I want you to think here. Jesus shows up. And again, there's a lot of emotion. She's saying, Lord, if you'd only been here, there's everything she's saying. The timing's not right. But, but again, Jesus is telling her, listen, your brother is going to rise again, Martha. Do you believe this? And I believe at that moment that Martha had this little view. She didn't have the big view of him doing a miracle. Because I want you to know many times when we look at God, we have a little view. We don't really believe that God's the big God. He's bigger than your problem. He's bigger than your issues today. He's bigger than a virus. Come on, somebody say amen. See, many times we say, well, Jesus is only talking about the afterlife, you know, a life after death. But I believe Jesus is talking more than just what, what's happened in the past. See, many times as Christians, we say, well, my past is covered. Jesus forgave me of the past. And, and my eternity is covered. I know where I'm going to go when I, when I die. But what about right now? Can I tell you, Jesus is more greater than just your past and your future. Jesus is the God of right now. God wants you to meet your need right now. He wants to be the kingdom of God in your life right now. Jesus wants to be in here and in your now moment. Somebody say now. He wants to be your now moment right now. The kingdom of God is right now. Not tomorrow, not in eternity. And many times we view God as great in the past and great in the future. But I'm here to tell you today that God, he wants to be the God of your now. He wants to change your situation right now. He wants to give you the abundant life right now. Somebody say amen. And that's why he was telling Martha, right now, I can do it right now. See, there's a scripture in Ephesians chapter 3. I don't know if I send it to the guys, but it says, I pray that from the glorious unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. Then Christ will make his home in your heart as you trust in him. So he's here in your heart and he's in your situation right now. Can you say amen? And so and then it says, I pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe in him. This is the same power that raised Christ from the dead. So the same power that raised Christ from the dead is the same power that's available in your now, right now. The same resurrection power is available in your right now. I said it's available right now. See, you may be a professional person where you're at. You may be great at what you do, but I want you, your power is limited. 
But I'm here to tell you, when you put it in God's hand, he's bigger, and God is unlimited. His power is unlimited. He is the miracle worker. He's the way maker. Amen. He's the light in the darkness. The third thing that I see here is that Jesus reveals a heart that breaks. See, God cares about your need. So many times we think, man, God doesn't care. And they were thinking, Mary and Martha, God doesn't care. You know, he didn't show up in the time we wanted him. And a lot of times, that's how we feel. But can I tell you, God's heart breaks for you. He knows what you're going through. He knows what's happening in your life. And here's the shortest verse in the Bible in John eleven thirty five. If you say, well, I, I, you know, I don't know one verse. I'm going to teach you a verse, okay? Two words. Ready? Jesus. Say, Jesus. Jesus. Wept. That's it. Jesus wept. Shortest verse in the Bible. Two words. Jesus wept. John eleven thirty five. 35. Anybody tell you, can you quote the Bible? Sure can. Jesus wept. <laughs> what else you need? Jesus wept. And, and I'm going to tell you why he's weeping. Why does Jesus weep in this scripture? In the New Living Translation, it says, then Jesus wept. But I'm going to read verse 33 of John chapter 11. It says, when Jesus saw her weeping, talking about Martha, and saw the other people wailing, Uh, welling with her a deep anger welled up within him and he was deeply troubled he was moved by the whole situation and he said where have you put him he asked him and they told him lord come and see then jesus what he wept that's the scripture jesus wept the people who were standing nearby said how much see how much he loved him see again we're talking about a god in the flesh when we say God was incarnate. We're talking about, it means God was in the flesh. And so God is weeping for man. He's weeping for for the broken heart of Martha. He knew what he was going to do. If you know the story, he raises Lazarus from the dead. He knew that he was going to do that, but he was having compassion and his heart was breaking for the people that were crying. Can I tell you, God's heart breaks for you. His heart moves for you. He knows what you're going through. You're not alone. And so the Bible says he began to weep. He began to pray. He began to basically see what was going on. And many times we feel like, man, God doesn't care. Man, God cares more than you understand. And the question is many times is, is why does this happen? Why does suffering happen? Why does pain happen? And, and I, I, I have a whole theological answer for you, but I'm going to just give, give you a brief answer right now. The reason why there is suffering, the reason why there is pain, the reason why there is plagues, all these different things that we see around the world. Why is there starvation? Why are there people suffering? Why are all these things? And we often want to blame God for our situation. When I say, why, why does God do something about it? But we forget that the world isn't all that great as you think it is. We live in a broken world. And there are consequences to sin that don't affect just one person. It infects the entire world. It infects other people. One brokenness, uh, one sin. Uh, it, 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 it Basically, that nature of sin has destroyed mankind. The Bible said the wages of sin is death. So from the beginning of time when man began to sin, the brokenness and the rebellion of sin has been instilled into every person. And the reason why there is suffering, the reason why there is brokenness is because the power of sin is so relevant in the world today. And so you're going to have pain. You're going to have suffering. You're going to have disease. Are you listening to me? Not that you can't say, well, that person, the reason why that happened to that person, because no, no. The reason why it happened to any person in general 
because sin is still real and sin still brings death. Are you with me? And no matter who you are, we live in this world. It's not a perfect world. It's still a broken world. And I'll just be honest with you. Many times we don't realize that even though all that's happened, Jesus, when he came, he took upon the sins of the world upon himself so that you don't have to experience death. But when you die physically, your spirit and your soul go to heaven. Hallelujah. And so the healing process starts of the healing in your soul. See, our greatest, our greatest brokenness is our sin. And Jesus comes and heals us of our sin and our iniquity, and he cleanses us. And the finishing process of our bodies is going to get when we get to heaven. The Bible says no more pain, no more suffering, no more death. It's going to be complete. How many can say amen? But as long as we live in this world, there's going to be brokenness. There's going to be suffering. See, our, our, our thing is this. We think God owes us something. God don't owe you anything. You're not that good. See, the problem is, see, we, we kind of create this narrative that mankind is good. Therefore, God, we deserve God to fix everything. We're not good. In fact, he gives us what we don't deserve. That's mercy, right? Amen. He gets, and, then, and then basically we didn't work for any of these things. We didn't work for it. And, and he gives us these things even though we don't deserve it. So I'll give you, I wrote this down. And I, I, I like the way it explains it because it really tells us God's love, God's mercy is something that all of us this morning get to experience even though we don't deserve it. It's the redemption power of God. And yet so many times this morning, we want to blame God because we think we deserve all these things. We don't. This is grace this morning. He gives us what we don't deserve. Can you say amen? Man, we don't deserve forgiveness. We don't deserve mercy. Can you say amen? And because he loves you this morning, we ought to just be thankful. Instead of saying, why me? You ought to be saying, why not me? But thank you, God, for your mercy and your grace. I've offended a bunch of people already. Hallelujah. That's okay. See, I like the way Joseph said it when he went through all the suffering and all the pain. If you read the book of Genesis 37, 38, and 39, you see about this young man who's so righteous before God, does everything right. And even with all the good things he does right, he's suffering. He's betrayed by his family, betrayed by different people, put in jail, uh, enslaved. He didn't do anything wrong. But later on, God turned it all around. He becomes the second most powerful man in Egypt. And he makes this statement when his brothers come because they're the ones that betrayed him. And they finally realize, oh, man, he's going to turn on us. And he said, you know what? You meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. Hallelujah. God had the ability, even in suffering, to turn things around. I want the worship team to come on up here real quick. Because I believe it's so powerful this morning what Jesus did. Jesus said, I'm not forgetting the cup, guys, either, so I got the cup here. Jesus finally gets to the tomb, and he says, where is he? And he gets there, and, 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 and Martha comes to him and said, Lord, you know, he, you, don't, you don't want us to open. He goes, open the tomb. He goes, you don't want to open the tomb. And I like the way the King James uses it, really fancy. He stinketh by now. I mean, I hate stink, but he thinks by now. He smells. It's been four days. He's dead. Come on, man. He's dead, you know. 
And um, Jesus said, go ahead, roll away the tomb. Uh, Jesus was smart. He wasn't going to get near the stench. He was going to call out from afar. No, I'm just kidding. Anyway, he tells them, tells other people to move, move the stone. He called out to him. Of course, you know the story. He says, Lazarus, come forth. And he comes out of this tomb. And he says, unwrap him. Because back then they would wrap him. They would put spices on them. They would wrap them, put spices on them. That was part of the, they didn't embalm people, embalmed them, but they wrapped them in the spices. And he tells them, he gets the community involved and says, unwrap him so that he could be set free. And I, I love that because that's what the church is here for. We're, we're here to unwrap people from their bondage through the power of Jesus. Can you say amen? But here's what I want you to get this morning. Many of us this morning, we're looking at the cup of disappointment. You're looking at your cup this morning that, you know, you've been disappointed. You've been let down. You know, you're, what you expected didn't happen. But I want to ask you this, to take your eyes off the cup and look to the one who's holding the cup, and his name is Jesus. Hallelujah. Don't look at the cup. Look at the one who's holding the cup. He knows what's going on in your life. He knows what's happening in your life. He knows how big the situation is. He knows how big the disappointments are. But don't look at the cup. Look at the one who's holding the cup. The Bible says he holds the world in his hands. He's bigger than any situation today. He's still on the throne today. And I want to tell you that he loves you and cares about you. I want us to pray. Why don't we bow our heads and close our eyes for just a moment? Hey, thanks for listening to this week's message from Praise Chapel Paramount. If you want to stay connected, follow us online with Facebook and Instagram at PC Paramount or visit our website at praisechapelparamount.com.